Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 21, live from the PGCE Research Conference 2023. Welcome back everyone to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching and I am in a lecture theatre faced by some fabulous student teachers and colleagues here at Cardiff Met because it is our research conference for our PGCE student teachers who are very soon going to be flying the nest out into the profession but we've got a specific question to address with this episode and we've convened a panel of lovely guests who are going to help us address this question hopefully our fabulous audience members will also ask some questions coming off of the back of this big question it's how can research help with the implementation of curriculum for Wales and we know that in Wales and perhaps our listeners will be familiar they might not that our professional standards for teaching and leadership actually have baked into them professional learning and research and inquiry as being sort of key facilitators, key parts of the job, the role of the teacher. And obviously we are in a time of curriculum reform, so we're trying to ask how can research help us at this really crucial time in our education reform journey with the implementation of Curriculum for Wales. So I'm not going to say too much now, I'm going to hand over to my first guest who's going to give us her thoughts about this big question. We've got Rebecca Roach from Central South Consortium who works supporting NQTs. Rebecca, welcome. Thank you, Emma. As Emma said, research is part of the professional standards that you'll be working on next year as NQTs, and it's being supported and encouraged through national initiatives such as the Schools as Learning Organisations, NPEP, and the national strategy that I know one of our other panel guests will be talking to you about. So never before has there been such widespread support of and interest in research-informed practice. But why? Well, because our young people are precious. They're not uh, guinea pigs in a lab for us to experiment on. Uh, They have one chance at their education and we need to get it right to meet the needs of every young person and to unlock their potential. So basing our planning, pedagogical choices, assessment methods, curriculum design on research, finding out what works, what has the greatest impact, is vital to ensure that we reach our vision of developing learners who leave school ambitious and capable, enterprising and creative, ethically informed and healthy and confident. In supporting NQTs, it's interesting that even our induction process that you'll all be starting next year was research informed through the wide ranging research across Wales that was led to uh, a report by Professor McWaters in 2020 and that informed the newest legislation and guidance from Welsh Government to inform the induction process that you'll be starting. The professional learning we offer, NQTs, really does encourage research. It's going to build on the practice that you've had in ITE 
and we weave in a range of different things into our sessions, whether that's directing NQTs to use EBSCO on the PLP, whether it's encouraging you to read books and blogs. John Hattie, Tom Sherrington, Kate Jones, Tom Bennett, there are lots of great writers out there that you should be um, reading and, and you know listening to. So a lot of this is woven into the sessions that you'll be invited to in your NQT year. But also encouraging you to engage in classroom inquiry and research. And there are lots of different words that we use for this. And it's all the same thing, whether it's action research, appreciative inquiry. Don't be put off by the title that your particular school might might uh, use. So... One example from a session that I've delivered for the NQTs recently, uh, looking at pupil voice, was to set them a challenge to go away and conduct some pupil voice in their school. And last week I met an NQT who had done the most fantastic inquiry. She'd gone and asked her learners, how do you learn best? And, you know, what does a great teacher look like? And she'd got lots of information, which was really interesting from her learners. But one of the key things that stood out to her was the question about challenge. And a lot of the pupils in the class were saying that they didn't feel challenged, which, you know, it was something that hit her and made her really go away and look at the sort of differentiation strategy that she had for her learners. And it encouraged her to think about extension activities, you know, changing up the groupings, differentiating her questioning. And her next step then is going to be to look at, you know, the impact that that has had on her learners. So a really great piece of research in the classroom. And that's the type of thing that we hope that you're going to be engaging in next year. Um, Another example uh, of a session that we ran for NQTs back in November was to do with the word Kenevin. And we were really encouraging research into the local area around your school and how you can make links between your school um, and your local community. And again, I came across an NQT who had set up an edible playground. Sounds fantastic to me. And what that was, was getting her learners to to grow things out in the playground in, in boxes that had been made. And the produce that they grew... They then sold in a little shop to to parents and that was, you know, partly to sort of address cost of living crisis in that area and and selling produce really cheaply to parents. So, you know, some fantastic ideas coming from our NQTs. For me, the Curriculum for Wales is not just about what you are going to teach, but it's the how, it's the pedagogy and it's the why our four purposes. And so this really encourages teachers to engage in research, to understand how learners learn, how the brain works, and to draw on cognitive science that can really inform our decisions in that respect. If we know that short-term memory is small, that helps us to understand why we need to chunk up our instructions. If we understand that things in long-term memory can be lost uh, unless we retrieve them regularly and link them to other learning to strengthen those neurological pathways, this informs us on our planning for retrieval activities and spaced low-stakes testing, for example. So I know that lots of schools are, are finding the Curriculum for Wales framework daunting, but if we can grasp this opportunity to feel liberated to create a curriculum that today's young people find purposeful, meaningful and inspired by, then I think we can do something amazing in Wales. 
Rebecca Roach, thank you very much. Really important to kick off with sort of where you're going next, that trajectory to a newly qualified teacher and to hear a little bit about how research is going to feature in that journey going forward and in addressing curriculum for Wales. So I think we need to go to a school perspective now and we've got just the person for this. Kerry Prosser is Deputy Head at St Tylo's High School here in Cardiff. Kerry, handing over to you. Thanks, Emma. Um, Certainly, as just been said, implementing Curriculum for Wales is a big old job. It takes time, it takes thinking, it takes a lot more thinking, um, and it certainly takes a lot of action. But it's really, really important for us as a school because, importantly, uh, it puts teachers back into positions of leaders of learning and teaching, and that's exactly what we wanted. For us as a school, it's really important that Curriculum for Wales and the content in Curriculum for Wales is not seen as a single entity. There's so much reform happening in Wales that it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. There's ALNET, the ALM provision, professional learning, leadership, well-being, assessment, and they all fit into this Curriculum for Wales puzzle. And that can't get lost in a school. That's really, really important. So for us, we've used research to realise the conditions for educational reform. Because always in a school, and I know the PGC students would have found this this year, there's never enough time. There's always limited time for absolutely everything. Because actually our core business is educating, for us, 1,500 pupils every day. Um, And to then realise change as well is very, very difficult. So we've looked at, from a leadership perspective, quite a lot of leadership research. And how do we implement change? How do we go about that? And we looked into... um, something called a VUCA world. And it was sort of really sort of rung a bell with us, if you like, in the leadership team. A VUCA world is one of volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. And it sounds exactly what we're living through at the moment and what we probably have lived through with COVID as well. And the acronym VUCA describes challenges faced by leaders. And it was also used by the US military as well. So I don't want to sort of put curriculum for Wales in the idea of war and and change, but it, it really sort of resonated with us as, as leader how do we respond to that how do we how do we make sure those conditions are right for our for our staff and for our learners and living in a VUCA world as we saw during COVID living living in that world responds to you, your change can be sort of you can make poor decisions your, your change can be indifferent it cannot be the right thing to do so we looked at this differently and we actually created our own VUCA world in St Tylo's and we've called that one of vision one of understanding one of clarity and one of agility and We haven't just done that as a leadership team. We've asked our staff to do that as well, but we needed to give them the time and space to be able to do that. Now, St Tylo's is a school of faith. It's it's a church in Wales school. So we have something called the mission that is front and centre of everything we do. And as part of that mission, we want to develop a community of learning, formation and flourishing. That's that's our mission. And, And that is exactly what Curriculum for Wales is all about. And that's really important to us. Uh, and to realise that, we, we understood that for, for our children to have those conditions, our staff needed those conditions as well to be able to, to learn and to flourish uh, and to form Curriculum for Wales, if you like. And it sort of put us at odds a little bit with the sort of very transactional nature of education, where you can sort of have quite a little bit of a tick box exercise. You comply with things and we didn't want that. We wanted people to flourish. And that's a huge change in culture and that takes a lot of, a lot of time. So, we, you know, we were aiming to build one, uh, a, a culture based on professionalism, trust, collaboration and truly improving what we did, um, not proving what we did. And that was so, so important to us. We've looked at quite a lot of work from Simon Breakspear. 
And Simon Breakspear writes about agile leadership and, and something called teaching sprints, if you've seen that. And there's three big ideas with Simon Breakspear, and that's start with the best bits, that we have critically limited time and cognitive bandwidth for teacher learning, so we shouldn't waste it on ideas that probably aren't powerful enough to improve people learning. And a research base can be the starting point for that. Practice makes progress, that teacher improvement is not a knowledge building exercise. More often than not, teachers see professional learning as sitting in a room, listening to somebody speak with a deck of slides. Teachers rarely associate professional learning with the act of teaching in their own classroom. And this is hardly surprising as the vast majority of of professional learning happens outside the classroom. And we've said to staff that that's like asking a chef to perfect a recipe, but not in a kitchen. You know, we need to do all our professional learning in our classroom with lots of deliberate practice that's happening to improve and focus on tiny shifts. We have these massive ambitious goals in education, full of good intention, but never any time to follow it through. So our focus has been one thing at a time and that cumulative power of small changes. Again, we've said to the staff, Curriculum for Wales is a bit like couch to 5k. That's what we're doing. And we just want to keep working at that and keep improving all the time. And we've, we've said to staff, whatever you do, don't go, go, don't go back to what Moran and Lennington call the valley of despair. When things are, uh, you can't see a clear way through, don't go back to what you've always done. That's the valley of despair, okay? That, that we don't want to be there, that we want to, to realise what we're doing. We also looked at something called the 12-week year, where actually we don't execute things in education not because we don't know how to do them it's just that time thing again that actually it's probably 12 weeks in a year that you can do some really really good work so we've 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 planned our year up front um, and we've created time and space for people to talk and to collaborate and think and rethink all the time and that has really really proved beneficial and to doing some work with the children We've also used Jim Knight's impact cycle. That's really important. I can't, I can't sort of recommend that enough about identifying what our current reality is, learning and improving and using that cycle all that time. Those iterations of improvement are so, so important. Um, so I've just put together some golden nuggets for us in terms of our work for Curriculum for Wales. Uh, for us, it's been about creating the conditions to deliver it successfully and not being just so focused on the content of what we're going to teach. Um, it's far bigger than that. Your work should always be about improvement, not proving what you do. That's so important. Um, Rethink, rethink. You cannot outsource thinking about your school or your classroom. You have to do it. It's so, so important. In education, direction is far more important than speed. And we often forget this because we're time pressured. So we move from one thing to the next without deeply thinking about what's needed. We've said to our staff, pursue less, design better and sharpen iteratively so we can see progress over the next academic year. And we've said responsive action is needed, not reactive action. So we can't get stuck and then just react. We have to respond in order to improve. And and this is the final one, really, that each time we try, we make better mistakes and we're going to learn our way forwards. And that's how we will implement Curriculum for Wales. It's not a task and finish thing. This is going to take years of work and we will get better. So, yeah, it's a bigger picture rather than looking at the sort of minute detail of what you're teaching. Um, If you can understand that as a teacher, you will thrive in Curriculum for Wales. Great to hear some words of common sense from a school partner there down at the sharp end. Thank you, Kerry. We're going to move on to the world of academia now. We're also going to move on to a live podcast veteran because Dr. Kevin Smith, senior lecturer from Cardiff University, was actually here the last time we did one of these, which was in January 2020. And we know what was about to hit us then. Uh, He then joined us again for a full episode on curriculum recorded from various sheds and spare rooms and things during (laughs) lockdown. So it's lovely to have Kev back with 
with us in the same room in front of uh, the same microphone. So what are your perspectives on this for us, Dr. Kev? Oh, thank you. And it's good to be back. And hello, everyone. My perspective, when I first heard the question and, and the prompt that we're talking to, it reminded me of a, of a quote from Paulo Freire, who's a Brazilian philosopher and educational theorist. And the question put to him was, how can education transform the world? And he said, education cannot transform the world. Education can transform people, and people transform the world. And so when I think about what is the role of research in the implementation of the curriculum for Wales, I think we need to remind ourselves that research can't make curriculum, and research can't improve curriculum without people. And so the important thing is, of course, research is important, but it's only as important as the people who can use the research. And so what does that mean? It means that research is a tool. And we need to know how to be able to choose and modify and apply and evaluate these tools for our inquiry aims, for our inquiry context, and most importantly, in regard to the human beings whom we're engaging with and participating with in our research, whether it's our colleagues, whether it's our pupils, whether it's the communities and families that are uh, involved with the school, it, we all need to take into mind our first and foremost, the human consideration, the ethical implications, uh, and the outcomes of our research. So understanding how we use research to implement the curriculum for Wales means how do we conceptualize research? What do we mean when we talk about research? And it also means that we understand the methods that are uh, used with it. When we talk about understanding research methods, it opens up a whole new world of, of understanding for us because that means we also need to think about educational philosophies, research theories, issues around ethics. What does it mean to be a reflexive practitioner researcher? What does it mean to understand our position in regard to our inquiry, our participants, our context, etc.? Once we start talking about these things, like right now, I imagine I've disenfranchised maybe some of the audience because they're not familiar with these kinds of discussions. And if we don't involve more and more people in these kinds of discussions, we will continue to disenfranchise others from being able to unlock what I think the power research offers us in implementing the curriculum for Wales. So for me, the, the biggest concern, what role can research play, it really goes back to what roles can people take in understanding research? How do we engage with educational philosophy? You know, uh, there were some recommendations for authors that people should read, and I'd like to add some of my own recommendations. In fact, the last time I was on the podcast, I brought my rucksack full of books, and I didn't, I wanted my hands free this time, so I didn't bring them. But, you know, like one book I've read recently, um, and it's a great little book by John Dewey called The Sources of a Science of Education, and it's brilliant. It was written over 100 years ago, and in that book, he talks about the importance of the performance of education as an art understood from a scientific perspective, meaning that teachers take on a disposition that is curious, that is active, that is questioning, creative, that is systematic, and understanding how do I inform and improve my educational practice based upon scientific principles. This is not moving into the borderlands of scientism, which is kind of things that seem scientific but aren't. This is actually taking on kind of a social scientist approach, you know, and, and a lot of times when we talk about science, we think about it in lab coats and we think about experiments and sterile things and statistics and stuff like that. And that's only one narrow interpretation of science. So I really believe that the teachers who can make the most out of the curriculum for Wales are teachers who take a scientific approach to their art. And that means an engagement with philosophy. 
you know, when we talk about curriculum, the number one question, this was pr uh, put out, you know, about 100 years ago, and we said, what is the number one question? What's the primary concern when it comes to curriculum? And is what knowledge is worth knowing? And uh, that has launched a thousand different theories about uh, on curriculum, about what we think should be important. In fact, maybe the most popular theory right now in our context is the theory of powerful knowledge. But if a teacher's not engaging in philosophical thinking, if they're not reading educational philosophy, they won't realize that there are other philosophies that offer a far more, in my view, comprehensive curriculum theory. So if Michael Young's saying, powerful knowledge is the theory from which we should develop our curricula, then our curricula are gonna be focused entirely upon knowledge. But if we take John Dewey's theory of experience, for instance, and we think about experience as not just the mental residuum of practical activity, but we think of experience as a way of being, as a way of perceiving the world, as a way of relating to each other and to our context, then that, bec that becomes a much more sophisticated, nuanced, and complex approach. So we can see that a powerful knowledge theory, for instance, is only one sliver, one tiny sliver of experience. So how can we implement a better curriculum? Maybe it's by thinking about experience rather than just knowledge, for instance. And we know that the language of the curriculum for Wales even kind of suggests this, because we have areas of learning and experience, not areas of learning and knowledge. So having this kind of philosophical engagement is crucial. And the other thing that we've noticed is, and I'm a little nervous because I know we do have Welsh government here, so no shade, but um, <laughs> you know, what we did in Wales, in my opinion, is that we, we, we did a great job in, in bringing people, uh, teachers to the table, engaging them in curriculum development, and using the Pioneer program with all of its benefits and warts and stuff like that, in, in getting teachers more engaged and giving them more agency and autonomy in what they do and the choices they make. Curriculum is really about how do I make defensible decisions in the classroom that have the effects that I want them to have. And so when we have teachers around the table, we gave them the model, we gave them the Curriculum for Wales framework. It's a framework, not a curriculum. And there's been a lot of thinking about that, but what we didn't do, and we kind of put the cart before the horse, we didn't give them theory. So what we see right now is uh, teachers across Wales are starving for curriculum theory. How do I have, give me the, the fuel, the intellectual tools, the landscape, the groundwork, the mental furniture I need in order to make sense of this curriculum so that I can make the decisions I need to make about it. And so I don't mean to downplay, I'm certainly not trying to downplay educational research and research evidence, but sometimes we rely too heavily on evidence as an answer. And research evidence is never the answer. Research evidence should never say, this is what works. Because it's only when we publish research, and I, I publish research, and when I publish it, what I'm trying to say is, is that I'm a committed, dedicated academic and scholar who is trying to do things honestly and with integrity and ethically. I've chosen these methods because of my philosophy. You know, uh, these research methods are informed by my methodology, which is just the philosophical justification for the research methods I choose. So I tell people that in my articles. I talk about the actual methods through which I generated the, uh, the evidence, and I talk about the ethical considerations I had as I did those things and analyzed it. And what I'm saying is, is that in light of all these things, this is the best that I can come up with under these circumstances, and these are this is what I'm trying to tell you. Now, I'm not saying, implement this in your classroom. I'm not saying take this recipe and make little curriculum cakes, because that's not gonna happen either. What I'm saying is read this, contemplate it, think about your context, think about the people you're working with. What is your evidence from your own personal practice? And how can you make sense of what that conversation between you and my evidence is saying? And how can that lead you to make those better decisions in the classroom? So that's what I think the role is. 
Dr Kev, as ever, you've given me lots to think about. And finally, we're going to hand over to our final panellist, Richard Jones, who is from the Welsh Government. You've already had a bit of an intro there, but you are professional advisor in the research branch of professional learning, pedagogy and leadership. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. A bit of a mouth for my title, I know. Uh, thank you, Kevin, as well, for my earlier introduction too. And I do agree with Kevin. I think that Curriculum for Wales is meant to be transformational, but that transformation will involve enabling research, inquiry, and as Kevin said, people. I mean, if we just think of the recent COVID vaccine, which was mentioned at the start of the podcast, the way in which the vaccine was rolled out involved all of those things. So if we think back to 2015, when I'm sure when I was actually a teacher in class, and I'm sure you, many of you were very, very young, we began with the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, which supported such a, such a transformative change in our curriculum. And within the Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, we had the idea of setting long-term goals for our system, encouraging integration, involvement and collaboration among organisations to support schools, while also preempting any future challenges. Now, I think research has been at the heart of the curriculum journey from the start. The curriculum framework was designed by a group of curriculum experts working alongside practitioners in a spirit of co-construction to inform the policy, framework and guidance on which Curriculum for Wales rests. Practitioners involved in the pioneer process showed the teaching profession could engage with research and researchers to co-construct a curriculum framework. Within classrooms throughout Wales, we have practitioners with well-developed research and inquiry skills. Through involvement in projects like the National Professional Inquiry Project, the Masters in Education Programme, the EDD. Also, many other staff will be involved in professional learning on the use of research and inquiry, such as spirals of inquiry. And I'm, of course, yet to mention the focus placed on being research informed by our initial teacher education providers. Therefore, what I'm saying is there's a firm rooting of the curriculum for Wales within a research base and much skill across the profession to engage with research and inquiry in collaboration with expert partners. I think the role of research in successfully realising the curriculum could be framed through assessment for learning. In assessment for learning, as many of you will know, it's about gathering information about a learner's knowledge, skills and understanding, and using that to inform our teaching. It is an ongoing process of evaluation using data collection, analysis, planning and implementation. So to successfully realise the curriculum for Wales, this type of process evaluation is needed at all levels in our system. This will stretch from the practitioner in the classroom, through school leaders, regional consortia and universities, to those making policy decisions and issuing guidance in the government. One of the eight contributory factors to successful curriculum implementation is the need to support practitioners' understanding of what works in curriculum design, by investing in the inquiry and pedagogic skills of all staff. Furthermore, in our professional standards for teaching and learning, it says that to enable autonomy, teachers need to know how to engage with evidence. This evidence might be local evidence, as in the information practitioners collect every day when they are in the class with students, through assessment in learning, conversations and observations, or through external sources such as guidance and academic research. A teacher who has well-developed research skills will know how and when to act, where to access the materials they need, how to apply them in the context and be skilled in evaluating the evidence and confident enough to share with their peers. In the curriculum documentation, curriculum impl implementation is seen as an iterative process that learns from professional inquiry, intelligence from research and local and national information. 
Being research informed can support school leaders to embed reflection and inquiry-led self-evaluation to secure school improvement and successfully realise the new curriculum. The research community, including in higher education institutions in Wales, will continue to support this in several ways. Firstly, they'll play an important role in evaluating implementation and suggesting ways forward. The recent ARAD report, which I'm sure you've all read, uh, evaluating early implementation of the curriculum, and the CAMI project, which is evaluating how a shared understanding of progression in learning is created, are two examples of this involvement. Also, HCIs can support schools and practitioners to engage with research and inquiry successfully. Appropriate research evidence from trusted sources is needed for teachers and schools to use to refine their practice and draw upon to improve and evaluate their curriculum. This may need to be synthesised from existing resources or be commissioned and made available in an accessible format. Something that is, in with, that is partly within the remit of our collaborative research networks. As a system, we must ensure that a busy profession, and it is busy, can access, inform and feed into academic research, which would be an important step forward in ensuring we narrow the gap between policy and practice. Particularly, as breaking down the barriers between layers of the education sector has proven to be a recipe for sustaining change in other jurisdictions. We want a profession who value learning and want to contribute to knowledge creation, especially with such an ambitious reform programme. Finally, I would say that we must model what we expect from our learners. If we are not encouraging them to be lifelong learners, if we are encouraged, sorry, if we are encouraging them to be lifelong learners, we need to model that, our, that, that for ourselves and not be afraid of it. Successful curriculum realisation will involve all practitioners working in schools that are dedicated being, to being learning organisations. The minute we stop thinking and using best available research to inform our decisions, including in curriculum realisation, we lose the chance to achieve the transformation that we desire. Thank you, Richard. So that's the final presentation from our panel of four. And this is the point now where, well, first of all, we proved to the listeners we have actually got an audience because you've been so incredibly well behaved up to this point. They think we might actually be lying. I have dug out my longest wire and on the end of that wire is a microphone. And holding that microphone is Nick Worgan from PGCE English. Um, the wire is long enough that if you're at the back, you are not exempt from uh, this requirement. You have representatives from the School Improvement Consortium, from school leadership, from universities and from Welsh Government. And this is your opportunity to ask a question. You can nominate somebody you would like to answer it or you can just lob it like a grenade from the back of the room onto the stage and just let whatever happens happen. Do we have a volunteer to ask a question? Excellent, we do. <laughs> means we don't have 20 minutes of blank audio at the end of this, which is good. <laughs> do you want to tell us who you are and what you do? And then your question. Hi, yeah, uh, I'm Amy Chambers. I'm one of the drama PGCE students here at Cardiff Met. I was wondering, as soon-to-be NQTs who have gone throughout this whole year basing a lot of what we do on research and our own inquiry, how might you suggest that we support other teachers within the school that are well-established, been there for many years, begin to use this research within their own practice when, as a teacher who is well-established, it could be perceived as extra work on top of what they're doing? Do you want me to answer that, Amy? <laughs> <laughs> um, really good question. 
And I hope that you will be in settings next year where you feel you have got the agency to, you know, share your understanding of research, your experience of research. You will be in different schools where some of them have got a real culture of research and inquiry, but you may also be in a school that is, you know, only starting on that journey. And if you're in a school that is just starting that journey, please have the confidence to lead and to share with other staff. And I think if you can base what you're sharing with other staff on where that thinking has come from, then you can feel confident that it's it's something worth sharing with other colleagues. And it might be that you start small and you just share it within your department or or with another colleague and and get some feedback and see what they think. Uh, But it might be then that, you know, you, you can feel brave enough to actually present to SLT or or governors um, and share something more widely. We will definitely be encouraging you to engage in in inquiry and research as part of the evidence that you have to gather on induction. And, you know, if you can share that with other staff, that will also help you to be showing that you're meeting the um, leadership uh, descriptors as well. Um, So, you know, I would just encourage you to take the lead and to, to be confident and brave because you you are the teachers of the future and also just to you know just in small ways share things that you might do because you're just versed in you know even something as small as knowing what EBSCO is you may be in a school where the rest of the staff just haven't even heard of that and you know don't engage in their PLP so if you're sharing something with a colleague and and saying where you got it from spend an extra two minutes to explain what EBSCO is and and where they can find it. So you're, you know, it's a ripple effect then, isn't it? You're sharing that understanding of of research and inquiry. Can I uh, jump in on the end of that? Thank you for that. I think sharing is such an important word um, there. And, you know, we, we share things with lots of people, but things are better shared when we have relationships with those people. And so I think it's your relationship with your colleagues is going to be one of the most important thing. And so developing that kind of of relationship that's a good positive working relationship is important. Uh, An author named Gail McCutcheon from the 80s wrote this excellent book about curriculum deliberation. It's hard to get here. Uh, It's available in the United States, but she has two chapters about solo deliberation and group group deliberation that I think provide some excellent principles and guidelines for how to engage in conversations that are relational based. The other thing I suggest to, I recently published a book actually with folks from Cardiff Met, with uh, uh, Gary Beecham and, and Dylan Adams. Um, called Pedagogies for the Future. And the, the first chapter of the book, um, I, as I was writing it, the, the, it focuses on thinking philosophically. And the, the reason why I wanted to kind of lead the book with that chapter was because when you're talking to your colleagues and you're having these discussions about research, about evidence, about what it might mean for creating or implementing curriculum, they're going to ask you questions. And you're going to talk about things in a way that if you maybe aren't engaging in philosophical discussions, you might be at, might not be as prepared as you want to be. Because ultimately they might say, well, how do you know that? Or why do you think that? And so what is your justification for introducing this to them, for instance? And if we're not thinking philosophically about this evidence, we're not gonna be able to answer those questions. For instance, if, they, if there's a, 
uh, a claim that you're making about how it contributes to people's understanding or, which is kind of a, a faffy word, doesn't really mean anything, does it? Um, but, you know, their ability to, to do the outcome, for instance, that you're working towards if you're doing outcomes or whatever, then you need to think about, you know, questions around knowledge, questions around how human beings interact and understand each other, uh, how human beings behave with each other. Once we start talking about, you think about teachers, for instance, you know, one of the major things that we trade in as educators is knowledge. But how many teachers talk about epistemology in their practice? And if we can't have talks about epistemology, which is the philosophical category that discusses knowledge, then how can we say that we actually are teachers? if we can't really have any kind of philosophical justification for what our beliefs about what knowledge is, does, and how it's acquired. So that's what I recommend. Get, in, get involved in the big conversations, these big ideas, so you're prepared to, when people ask you questions, you can say, well, this is what I believe and why. Can I just add something to that? Okay. I think it's also really important, depending on the school that you go into, because I think it was mentioned earlier by Rebecca, that some schools are going to be very much research informed. If you go into a school that isn't, it's really important for you as an individual and as a professional that you stay in touch with your network from here or other people and you continue to develop your use of research and your discussion of things and ideas. And also you model it to your peers as well and go and speak to your SLT because I, I now, I'm in Welsh government now, but I was in school for 16 years. And anyone who comes with an idea it will be heard out by SLT, I'd imagine. I'd think that would be fair to say, Kerry. Yeah. So, yeah, any, be enthusiastic. Like, don't, don't lose hope. But you need those networks to support you as well. My best bit of advice for you is to, to go, go through it from the lens of a child, because that's why school exists. School exists for, for young people. That's why we get up in the morning and go to school. Um, so if, if that piece of research or that bit of practice is benefiting learning and benefiting the children who are in front of you share it you know and, and go from it from from that point of view because it's not it's not about us it's about them have we got any more questions from our audience andrew that wire is making its way there it is hello um, i'm andrew physics pgc student um i just wanted to kind of ask a question about maybe the bigger issue of the curriculum Im implementation within schools. Um, we've obviously got two areas, I think, where research seems to be fitting into this. We've got the research that's led to the development of the curriculum, and then we've got the research that seems to be happening in schools in terms of the implementation. Um, now, from what you said about the schools, that seems to be very much based around we make mistakes, we learn from them, and we iterate the process, but yet this curriculum has clearly been drawn from research somewhere as to how we're going to put this together. So my question is, how is that being linked between the two? Because it feels to me that there's this two separate ideas where some people have gone off and done research here and said this is a curriculum, and then the schools haven't to do their own research as to how they're implementing it. So I guess we, I'd like to hear from maybe the Welsh Government and from the, the teachers as to how you feel that bridge is being bridged, or is it being bridged? For us as a school, that. Um you know, research is pretty scary as a as a practitioner, and um, because you you tend to have a, a an opinion of it of that it's some big and complex thing that you need to add on to what you're doing, and it's not. And um, it needs to be through what you're doing. And um, for us as a school, it, it's it's pretty much all our research and the, our research informed practice has come through teaching and learning, and, and we've taken the view of. If we've got high quality teaching and learning, Curriculum for Wales will be realised. Schools are very complex, human, messy places. They're not simplistic, linear things that you do this and this happens and you do this and this happens. And every school is very, very different. Um, and I think 
that's the beauty of curriculum for Wales, that every school is different and we've been given an opportunity to, to do something that will meet the needs of our learners. So we're not looking at two different things here. We're using research to, to make us better, to improve, which has been lacking in education because for, for, for a long time we've been told what to do and how to do it and, and we've got, we're getting away from that now. So I think that's really, really important that, that we're, we're using research to our benefit at the moment and we're just looking at things. It's a real mindset shift, for, for not for you guys, actually, because you're in the mix of it and you're living it now. For us, who've been in the profession a long time, it's, it's so different. It's so different. But, um, yeah, I think it's really benefiting us and it's making us better practitioners. So, you know, the, we're, we're using that to our advantage. I th- Sorry, can I jump in quick? I think the two different things you're talking about are the fact that the Curriculum for Wales is a framework. So there was research to create the framework and there needs to be other research then at a school level for them to design the curriculum that sits under that. And I think that's still taking people a while to to understand. But that's what excites me about the, the framework, that it is allowing schools, just as Kerry has said, uh, to meet the needs of their learners and their curriculum design might look quite different from, you know, a, a school in a different part of Wales. So I think, there, you know, from my point of view, there are two different types of research going on, but, but they're working together to realise that framework at a school level. Yeah, I think going back to the construction of the curriculum, I mean, the purpose of the co-construction of what was that that you were having curriculum experts coming in from different uh, jurisdictions around the world to work with practitioners in Wales. So you had that kind of expert researcher who knew their curriculum theory, and then you had the practitioner who'd obviously experienced life on the ground. So out of that came the curriculum framework. Um, in terms of in school, in terms of realising that framework in school, I think one of the f- one of the things about it is it gives schools the freedom to meet the needs of their learners. I think that's really important because the learners in a school in Northern Cardiff aren't going to be same as the as the learners in a school in Merthyr Tidfall, for example. So it give, so it's got a framework of what they need to learn, but then you can you can use your expertise as practitioners to decide what's suitable for your learners. Now, I come in it from a primary background, so I think that's possibly easier within the primary sector because we, that's something we've been used to doing. We've been used to, uh, you know, the AOLEs, for example, we've been used to having subjects taught together. More difficult, possibly, in the secondary sector, but I think there's been a lot of good work done in that sector t- to address that. And it's like anything, you're going to... When you're a teacher, you're going to be constantly collecting evidence, aren't you, in the way that your students are, those, the, the, the way they respond to your lessons, the way they respond to your marking. Um, and it's about what you do with that evidence, really. And then that needs to feed up to your leaders who then are sort of informing the curriculum moving forward. So it's that constant use of evidence and then using research to answer any questions that comes out of that, which is important. We have just under four minutes left. So do we have one killer question? We have, and I could have just used my shortest wire (laughs) to the front row. Here we go. Hi, I'm Tim Lewis. I'm on the science PGC for secondary. And my question is this. We're moving to the point now in secondary schools with Curriculum for Wales where we need to decide on how success is going to be measured. And traditionally in secondary schools, it comes down to exam results. All of us in this room are here because of the exams that we've succeeded at. How is that going to look going forward? 
we asked for a killer question. One quick response. I can't predict the future, but what I can say is what I what I think we need to think about most carefully is that currently we have a very uh, strong regime of external accountability and a discourse of external accountability, and we need to shift more to a model of internal commitment. External ca- accountability by its very definition is an external thing where you're accountable to someone else for something. There's a lot of self-accountability. It doesn't really make sense. But we talk about that's really just internal commitment. So somehow, the, I think one of the knots we need to pick when it comes to what you're talking about is, is releasing our system from these uh, overburdensome discourses of external accountability and shifting that emphasis away from uh, the out, from pointing to the outside and thinking about how within schools within the system we can develop a sense of internal commitment to the principles, to the practices, to the ideals that we have, to the values that we have. That's, I think, one of, if not the most, one of the most important things we can do. If, if you've got the answer, you can have a job in St. Hilo's because <laughs> n- well, nobody's got the answer to that at the moment. And I think we're living in two, two different worlds a, a little bit at the moment, um, that our current years, eight, nine, and 10, and, and 11 and six form are living in a slightly different world to our current year sevens and our primary school. So for, for us, we've just come from this debate actually today um, where we've been sort of debating this as a, as a leadership team of what does that look like? What, what, where are we going with this? And the conclusion that I left with is that it's high quality assessment for learning um, that is vitally important that we can show our, our learners are improving and making progress over time um, and we can't be worried at this moment in time about what the end result is because we don't know we don't know what those qualifications will look like for those children um, so if we can ensure they are learning and improving based on skills knowledge experiences we will be traveling in the right direction do you think we should know what they look like by now um, it does put us in a difficult position. It does, and it's, it's you know it's a lot of our time has been debating that in school of what does that look like. But you know I just feel that we need to be confident as practitioners that if we've got high quality teaching and learning, high quality professional learning, high quality assessment for learning where children are improving, um, that's really good at the moment. You know that's that's where we want to be. Um, we will deal with that bit when it comes. Um, but that's where we are. But our, it will look slightly different. We're living in two worlds at the moment. So um, as long as we're aware of that and we're being the best versions of ourselves, I think we will get there. Well, I don't think we could have hoped for any better questions than those three. And I th- it's certainly going to give us plenty to be thinking about when we leave uh, this room. I've certainly got plenty I'm chewing over in my mind. Thank you ever so much to our panellists. Thank you ever so much to our lovely audience. Um, that concludes our episode, this live episode. the season, in fact. And it does indeed uh, conclude the season. So thank you for sticking with us. Um, we'll be back with you next academic year. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests for this live episode were our panellists, Rebecca Roach, Kerry Prosser, Dr Kevin Smith and Richard Jones. And of course, our audience of students from PGC Primary and PGC Secondary. Thanks to everyone for taking part. And thanks to everyone else who's appeared on the podcast this year. Paula Weber, Lauren Rees, Jess Danham, Dr Christina Kelly, James Wise, Dr James Snook, Dr Sally Bethel, Professor David Egan... Dr. Mary Woolley, Dr. Anne Hodgson, Lucy Crehan, Sam Eaton, Gareth Rain, Shonid David, and Dr. Louise Allen Walker. 
Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. You can find us on Twitter at TalkTeachingPod. We'll be back in September for Season 6. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>